Chief Justice, the police of the court. You can test because they have coarse hands, that they wear coarse clothes, they have their hair cut in a certain way. I've had my hair cut once or twice in Tijuana. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. We hear a lot about racial profiling these days, whether it's about police who stop and frisk young black men and women in New York City, or stories about people with Middle Eastern names who face extra questioning at airport security lines. In this story, we take a look at this surprisingly complicated question. When is it okay for authorities to use race as a reason to stop someone, and when is it not? Reporter Jude Jaffe Block has our story. This is a story about looking for something without exactly looking for it. It was in the summertime, early in the morning, probably like seven or eight in the morning. A few years ago, Ismael Ramos was riding with some friends along a two-lane highway on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State, near the Canadian border. We were going to pick up some tuxes in Tacoma for a quinceanera. A kind of Latin American sweet 16. There was a Border Patrol agent parked on the opposite side of the road facing us. At first, they cracked jokes about it. Oh, he's probably going to, you know, truck full of Mexican kids. He's probably going to start following us, blah, blah, blah. A couple miles after we had passed him, there was another Border Patrol agent driving the opposite way, coming towards us. This time, the car pulled a U-turn and started following them. We weren't acting suspicious in any way, or clearly we didn't have anything with us, so, I mean, there was just no reason for them to pull us over. But the agent did pull them over and came up to their car. Ramos says it suddenly started to feel very tense. A second Border Patrol showed up. He just said, turn off the truck, so the driver did. And then he reached in, trying to take the keys out of the ignition, and he couldn't. So the driver took them out and handed them to him. You heard that, right? Ramos says the agent reached for the keys, presumably so they couldn't drive away. Then the agent started questioning them, asking where they were born, and demanding to see their IDs. The agent wouldn't say why he had stopped them, but Ramos thinks he knows. I've got black hair, I'm kind of like a light brown skin tone, I guess. I'm not really brown brown. But I mean, you can tell that, you know, I am a Hispanic. Ramos was born in Washington state. And like everyone born in the United States, he's an American citizen. The only person in the car who wasn't born here, the driver, was a legal permanent resident. Which is why getting pulled over like that made Ramos so mad. I'm just as American as you are. I was born and raised here. And so why? Should I be the only one that has to be questioned? Or why is my ethnicity the only ethnicity that has to stick out compared to everybody else? Federal guidelines say Border Patrol shouldn't use race or ethnicity to stop people, though there are some exceptions. But in the real world, it's hard to keep race out of it. You know, uh, you mentioned something earlier about, about saying things the politically correct way, but let's be real. This is Hippolito Acosta. He's a retired Department of Homeland Security official. He started his career as a Border Patrol agent in the 70s. He happens to be Mexican-American from Texas. When we have the entrants coming in from the southern border, the great, great majority are of Latin uh, descent, whether they're Mexicans, uh, Central Americans. Uh, is, is that going to be considered? Of course it's going to be considered. 
In 2013, the Border Patrol caught more than 420,000 people trying to come into the U.S. illegally. In recent years, more than half of the people caught have been Mexican, and most of the rest, Central American. And that's the question. The Border Patrol's job is to find and catch people coming into the country illegally. So if most of the people who cross the border without papers are Latin American, does that make it okay to stop people because they look Latino? Mr. Fry, you may proceed. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. In 1975, the Supreme Court said yes, as long as looking Mexican isn't the only reason for the stop. The case, called USA versus Brignone Ponce, went like this. A Puerto Rican guy named Felix Umberto Brignone Ponce was driving two undocumented passengers on a highway north of San Diego. And they discovered that the passengers had no papers authorizing them to be in the United States. Respondent and the passengers were then arrested. Brignone Ponce was a U.S. citizen, but he was charged with human smuggling. He fought the case, arguing the agent shouldn't have stopped him in the first place, since the agent admitted the only reason he pulled over the car was because the people inside looked Mexican. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. John Cleary uh, was the federal public defender who represented Brignone Ponce. He argued that the Border Patrol's explanation for why he stopped him was just plain racist. Can they say that a person who appears to be of Mexican descent in the area of Southern California, contiguous with the Republic of Mexico, constitute some rational basis, reasonable suspicion, that that person is an alien. I would contend, if such ever was the case, that would be rank racism. He made fun of the government's assumptions that agents can recognize Mexican citizens by their grooming habits. You can test because they have coarse hands, that they wear coarse clothes, they have their hair cut in a certain way. I've had my hair cut once or twice in Tijuana. The deputy solicitor general, Andrew Fry, argued that a border patrol agent's job is to keep people from entering the country without permission, and that if they suspect someone is here illegally, agents should stop them. Suppose that a, a border patrol uh, car is driving along the road and it sees a car drive by, six persons who appear to be Mexicans, and, and I think that to, to ask the officer to ignore that fact would be to... Uh, ignore the reasonableness requirement of the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment protects us from unreasonable search and seizure, but it lets law enforcement agents stop a car if they have a reasonable suspicion that something illegal is going on. Brignone Ponce won the case, but the justices decided that Border Patrol agents may use Mexican appearance when they decide whom to pull over, as long as Mexican appearance isn't the only factor. They wrote, The likelihood that any given person of Mexican ancestry is an alien is high enough to make Mexican appearance a relevant factor. But standing alone, it does not justify stopping all Mexican Americans to ask if they are aliens. Kevin Johnson is dean of the UC Davis Law School and has studied racial profiling extensively. He says the court's opinion looked like it limited the use of race in border stops, but instead it did the opposite. In fact, some would say that it helped to institutionalize the consideration of race in modern racial profiling and immigration enforcement uh, in a way that um, isn't consistent with modern constitutional sensibilities. Demographics have changed dramatically since the court decided Brignone Ponce. 
Latinos now make up more than 15% of the population, and the vast majority of Latinos are here legally. In fact, lower courts have tried to update the Supreme Court's opinion in different ways. In 2000, for example, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said that in areas with large Latino populations, Latino appearance shouldn't be used as a factor for a stop anymore. I wanted to get a feel for how the Border Patrol does its job. So I took a ride with Agent Peter Bidigan. He's a spokesman for the agency's Tucson office. So where are we now? So right now we're just outside of Nogales, just coming into town. We're about four miles from the border here. Along this part of the Arizona border, agents mostly stop people walking through the desert after crossing the border illegally. But they can also stop cars, as long as they have a reason to suspect something criminal is going on, like drugs or human smuggling. The vehicle may be coming out of an area where you historically have had a lot of smuggling. Um, It may be coming out of an area where a vehicle normally isn't in that area. The vehicle may be too clean for an area, it may be too dirty for an area. It's not really one set thing. Um, It's just kind of a whole set of circumstances that, that you can articulate. Lately, the U.S. Supreme Court has given Border Patrol agents more and more leeway to decide what constitutes a fair stop basically gives them a a green light to consider whatever they want to consider uh, in making an immigration stop. That's Kevin Johnson again from UC Davis Law School. He says that in 2002, the Supreme Court said border agents could rely on factors that on their own aren't necessarily suspicious, but that taken along with other factors add up to a suspicious scenario. And those can be as mundane as whether the driver waves or not, or if he makes eye contact or not. That makes it look like agents aren't using race as a reason to stop people anymore. But Johnson thinks it really just means that it's harder to tell. In the end, um, the court, um, by not creating any bright line rules and by giving great discretion to the Border Patrol officers, has made it increasingly difficult to really make sure and eliminate uh, racial bias from entering into immigration stops. All of which is little comfort to Latino citizens like Ismael Ramos. I live in a border area, but it's the Canadian border, not the Mexican border. So don't you think, you know, they should try be looking for some like Canadian illegal immigrants more? Ramos was part of a lawsuit that accused the Border Patrol of making unfair stops in Washington state. The Border Patrol denied they'd done anything wrong. But as part of a settlement, the agency agreed to share data about its stops and retrain its officers. Meanwhile, more and more local police forces have begun doing immigration-related enforcement, which means more agencies are trying to figure out what's legal enforcement and what's illegal discrimination. For Life of the Law, I'm Jude Jaffe-Block. Life of the Law is produced by Julia Barton, Katie Barnett, Shannon Heffernan, Caitlin Prest, Elisa Roth, Jillian Weinberger, and Phil Wilt. Professor John Gould of the American University was an advising scholar on the story. Our music is by Matthew Darr, Kyle Kaplan, and Todd McDonald. Our web editor is Mary Adkins. Financial support comes from you and the Open Society Foundations, 
Special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. Thanks also to Lisa Rudman at Making Contact, our nonprofit fiscal sponsor. For more on this story and others on the law and the legal system, or to donate to Life of the Law, visit lifeofthelaw.org. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.